You're listening to The Bible Explorer, a podcast about the misunderstood, unusual, and little-known aspects of the Bible. My name is Matt Morton, and I'm your host. This is episode 12, Right in Their Own Eyes. Well, last week, somebody asked me about a section of Scripture that, in my opinion, is one of the strangest and also one of the most disturbing portions of the Bible. Uh, namely, what they asked me about was the uh, the end of the book of Judges, especially chapter 17 through 21 of the book of Judges. Um, and I, this is a section of Scripture. I, we're going to look at it for a little bit today. Um, I have taught a sermon series from the book of Judges before, but to be honest, I did not teach these last, um, I guess, five or six chapters of the book. I guess it's five chapters right here at the end. Uh, I would wager that nobody listening to me has actually heard a sermon on these last chapters of the book of Judges. And the reason is not because people think that it is um, not a part of Scripture or anything along those lines. The reason is because it's just brutally dark and violent and depressing to read. So when I did my sermon series on Judges, it was for a group of college students, and I just I had a hard time figuring out how I was going to fit in some of the horrible, horrible things that happen here at the end of the book of Judges uh, when I'm talking the day after football games and, and all of that. Um, but I do think it's an important section of Scripture, and so I want to talk about it for just a little bit, but let me set the stage. You may remember um, several weeks ago, uh, one of my first podcast episodes, we dealt with the book of Ruth. Uh, the book of Ruth comes after the book of Judges, and you'll remember I briefly talked about the book of Judges, and one of the things that I said was the book of Ruth is set uh, during the period of time of the Judges, and it stands, the book of Ruth stands as a shining contrast, a light in the midst of the darkness of the period of the Judges. Now, because as you read through the Judges, the um, essential phrase that gets repeated over and over again in the book is, in those days there was no king in Israel, so every one did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, the, the idea of the period of the judges is that really there was no law and order in Israel, but also the people had seemingly no sense of how they ought to follow God. Uh, so Judges follows after Joshua, you may remember, and Joshua is the book in which the people enter into the promised land, they conquer their territory from the Canaanites, and then there's a period of about 400 years, and that's the book of Judges, before there is a king, before the first king, Saul, comes on the scene, where the people, uh, they're supposed to be following the law, and the priests of Israel are supposed to be helping the people follow the law. They're supposed to be listening to God and doing what he told them to do, but they don't. So the cycle of the book of Judges, then, is that the people rebel against God, they fall into idolatry, or I should say they don't really fall into idolatry. They actually kind of plummet or jump headfirst into idolatry. It's not like they slipped and they were like, oops, we're worshiping idols. It was much more like they deliberately chose to disobey God. 
and to worship false gods. So the people fall into or jump into idolatry. As a result, God judges the people. And the way that God judges them is he sends foreign nations to come and conquer them or oppress them. So you have groups like the Midianites or the Philistines uh, who come and they oppress Israel as a result of their sin. And then God raises up what are called judges to deliver Israel. Now, the word judges is a little bit misleading because um, when, when obviously when we think about a judge, we think about a guy with a black robe sitting in a courtroom uh, making decisions about the law. Uh, the judges of the Old Testament, they did make decisions about the law. One of the things they did was that they mediated disputes between people. But really, the judges are almost more like tribal chiefs is the way you might understand them to be. They, they had a military role and they had a governmental role. So they were sort of like um, uh, like a governor and a, uh, and a warrior and a judge all wrapped into one. They, they were the chiefs of the nation of Israel. So you have, you have guys like Gideon, you know, the famous story of Gideon who defeats the Midianites using an army of only 300 people. Uh, you have Samson. Samson is actually the final judge really recorded in the book of Judges. Samson is the guy that's extremely strong, but when his hair gets cut off, he loses his strength. And then he knocks over um, this uh, palace where he has been chained up and kills a bunch of Philistines. So um, you have guys like that, that, you know, we think of them often as heroes. But here's the deal. When you read through the book of Judges, these guys were, they were, they were strong. Sometimes they were very militarily talented, uh, but they were often wicked. So, you know, Samson had a real problem uh, with the ladies. He was unable to keep away from sexual immorality. Uh, Gideon was very fearful and later um, idolatrous, and so were his children. So you've got these you got these uh, men and women, by the way, who deliver Israel, but they are they are flawed in their character. So that's kind of the cycle of the book of Judges. But what's really interesting is that the the history of the actual judges, as I mentioned, it ends with Samson at the end of Judges chapter 16. And then you have this seemingly crazy section of scripture that runs from Judges 17 all the way to the end of the book, where you don't have any descriptions of any more uh, judges or chiefs in Israel, but instead you have... Um, sort of a description of Israel's slide into what seems to be just total chaos and disobedience and violence and sexual violence and everything terrible that you can think of happens at the end of the book of Judges. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to summarize it, and then I want to give a little bit of theological perspective. If you're listening with children, and this is the other reason you've probably never heard a sermon on this section of Scripture, if you're listening with kids, let me just warn you, um, this content is, it's disturbing. It's part of Scripture, but it it is uh, scary and violent. So if you've got kids around, you may want to um, point them to a different episode, or you may want to listen to this later when they are not around. Uh, Judges 17 and 18 
tells the story, essentially, of a man named Micah. He lives up in the hill country of Ephraim, and the way that the story begins is Micah goes to his mom, and he says, hey, mom, you know all that money that you lost that you thought somebody had stolen from you? He says it was 1,100 pieces of silver, which I think is a lot of money. Um, And he says, you cursed whoever stole it while I was there. He goes, I just need to tell you, I took that. Like, I stole that money. And his mom goes, oh, well, bless you, son. I I assume she's blessing him for confessing. She says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take some of that money. I'm going to give it back to you. And with that money, why don't you go ahead and make an idol, make a molten image, and uh, we will worship it. So, Right off the bat, you see that this is this is what you might call a dysfunctional family. It's not the healthiest of families. Um, this young man is stealing money from mom. Uh, when mom finds out, instead of getting angry or instead of encouraging him to actually go to the tabernacle and offer a sacrifice for his sin, she instead gives it back and says, hey, why don't you make an idol with this money? So Micah does that. Um, And then what happens is there is a Levite who was living in Bethlehem uh, who decides to move away from Bethlehem. Now, a Levite, uh, you remember the Levites were the tribe that was supposed to be responsible for helping take care of um, the temple, right? So uh, here's this guy who's supposed to be um, helping to take care of the tabernacle, I should say. And he's wandering around, and he's just kind of going, hey, wherever I can find a place to stay, I want to find a place to stay. So this Levite, who's supposed to be honoring God, seems totally unconcerned with his duties as a Levite. He runs into Micah, and basically Micah says, hey, I could use a Levite. Like, I could use a dude who will um, help me worship my idol, and I will pay you so that you will be my special uh, personal Levite. So everything that's happening here is wrong. Like nothing is supposed to be happening this way. Um, And then it gets even worse. There's a group of Danites. Dan was one of the tribes of Israel. They come around and uh, they, they are trying to spy out a particular piece of property because they aren't happy with the tribal allotment that they received from the Lord. And so they're trying to expand their territory. Now, again, they shouldn't have been doing that. They had been given land by God. Uh, but they, they're spying out this particular land and they, they decide, hey, Laish is the name of the area. We're going to take this land over. And in the process, they happen to run into um, Micah's Levite. And uh, they tell him, they say, hey, why don't you come with us? Like, come be with us. Isn't it better to serve an entire tribe of Israel rather than just one guy up here in the hill country? So, so Micah's Levite leaves and then Micah tries to chase down his Levite, get him back. The Danites threaten essentially to attack him and kill him if if he takes his Levite back. So Micah backs off. The Danites then go and attack an innocent village and kill all the inhabitants and burn it down and take it over. So uh, again, you've got a scenario where you have an entire tribe of Israel acting like barbarians. Uh, You have the Levite acting like a mercenary who is um, engaged in idol worship. Nobody in, in the passage is doing anything they're supposed to be doing. And again, that's why we have this phrase uh, that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There's no king in Israel. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. Okay, so that's where that account ends. And then in, in 19 and 20, 
the writer of Judges picks up a whole other story about another Levite. And again, he's getting at this idea that even the guys who are supposed to be helping people worship God are really messed up. All right, so you have this story of this Levite. He takes a concubine um, from Bethlehem. And, uh, you know, right at the beginning, the concubine, she commits adultery, goes away. He goes back to her father's house and he finds her again. And he and this this Levite tries to convince the concubine to come back and live with him. So he's staying in his father-in-law's house in Bethlehem. And several days go by while the father-in-law says, hey, why don't you stay with us? Why don't you stay with us? And, and Micah, or sorry, this Levite eventually says, no, we need to go. We're going to leave. All right, so the man gets up with his concubine. He ends up staying the night in a place called Gibeah. And the people of Gibeah are um, tribesmen of the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, what happens is he runs he, he runs into a man. He begins to, to sleep in the town square in Gibeah. But the guy comes and says, hey, that's not a great idea. Why don't you come into my house? So this Levite gets up with his concubine. He goes into this guy's house. And um, in the middle of the night, the men of Gibeah pound on the door of this old man who is sheltering the Levite. And they say, hey, send your guest outside because essentially um, we want to rape him. Okay, so you send him outside. We're going to use him as we see fit. And uh, if if you're astute as a reader, this ought to remind you of what happened in Sodom right? Something very similar happened in Sodom when Lot was sheltering um, a guest who turned out to be the angel of the Lord, and Lot protected his guests. But the, the, the guy here in Gibeah, in Judges chapter 19, actually does the same thing that Lot did at the time, which is he tells these men, he says, hey, don't attack my guest. Um, instead, um, he offers, actually, it's not the man who offers, it's it's the Le- Levite here. He says, yeah, don't attack me. You can have my concubine. So he sends his concubine out to be abused and raped by these men in Gibeah. They abuse her uh, all night long. Um, it's just a horrific story. And then um, the next morning, the Levite goes out to leave and she's lying at the threshold of the house And instead of demonstrating any compassion, he just says, hey, get up and let's go. She does not get up. So so the Levite tosses her onto his uh, horse, on his uh, donkey, and and then they leave. And uh, somewhere along the way, she dies. And uh, after she dies, uh, in his outrage, the Levite then takes a knife, cuts her into 12 pieces, sends her to all the people of Israel. Um, and, and the rest of the story then is that the rest of the tribes of Israel attack Benjamin. Virtually, they wipe out the tribe of Benjamin. Um, all of the, uh, almost all the men, all the men who are warriors, at least, they kill them. They kill all the women. They kill all the animals. And then they make a vow, all the rest of Israel makes a vow that they're not even going to give any of their daughters to Benjamin in marriage. Then they regret it because they realize that the entire tribe is going to die out. So what they do is they go to another city called Shiloh and they essentially they kidnap a bunch of women, several hundred women, and they give them to the Benjaminites um, so that they can 
uh, replenish their tribe, basically, so that they can repopulate their tribe. Um, and basically, that's how the story ends. So you can see this is this is a terrible story. You have um, idolatry, you have violence, you have sexual immorality, you have sexual abuse and sexual violence, you have uh, kidnapping, um, you have murder. I mean, there's just every commandment on the books is broken. And uh, it is a vicious set of scriptures to read. Um, It is definitely not my favorite portion of scripture when I'm in my quiet time when it comes to that in my Bible reading. Um, So what is going on then? You know, as, as, as I read this, I always think like, what is, why is all of this in here? Again, it goes back to the essence of the book of Judges. The theme of the book of Judges is that because there was no king, the people just did whatever was right in their own eyes. And what was right in their own eyes was terrible, terrible wickedness. What you see in the book of Judges is what happens to people when they don't have godly leadership and when they choose to just go their own way and and create their own rules. It, It is a depiction of a society in free fall, in utter chaos and anarchy um, and what happens to people when the the values that undergird their society, especially those values that are to come from God, when those values fall apart. The other thing you see in Judges is that the gods or the God that you worship really matters um, because they are worshiping at this point the gods of the Canaanites who were violent gods, who were sexually immoral gods um, instead of worshiping Yahweh. But the other thing that you see, although the book of Judges ends on a terrible note, um, as I mentioned, it's immediately followed by Ruth, in which you see this ray of hope that even during this terrible time, there were people who were honoring God. And then, of course, First and Second Samuel, we see the beginning of the kingship. And of course, you have Saul, who doesn't end up being such a great king, But then you have David, a man after God's own heart. And so the message is, even in the darkest times, God always raises up some people who will say, even in opposition to the culture around me that seems to be saying that violence and immorality and godlessness are okay, there are always people who will stand up and say, I'm going to follow God in the midst of it. And so Really, I think the book of Judges, the book of Ruth, um, although they can be hard to read, these are books that really, I think, ask us the same question. Will we be those sort of people who will say, I will trust God and obey God and do what is right, even in the darkness of the world around us? Um, Because in that way, we see the grace of God at work, not only just in our individual lives, but as he shepherds the people of God from generation to generation and always preserves a group of people who are faithful to him. That's all that I have for today. Um, I will talk to you next time.